If you missed the introduction, my name is Mike. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Halifax. I'm really glad to see you here for worship. Let me invite you to turn to the back middle portion of your worship guide. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the sermon scripture reading for this morning, which is Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 19. I'm going to be reading the scripture for us in just a moment here. Haggai is only two chapters. It's very close to the New Testament. If you're searching through your Bibles, it's pretty small, so it won't take much flipping to miss it. Uh, But we're going to be in Haggai chapter 2 this morning. Uh, We are in the second of four weeks that we'll spend with this minor prophet, And uh, the substance of this book, the big idea behind this book, is it's addressing God's people who have lost a vision for the kingdom of God, and in the course of time, through God's activity, they, they regain it. Again, Haggai is about a people, God's people, who've lost the vision of the kingdom of God and regain it by God's grace. Last week in Haggai chapter 1, we met a cast of characters. We met the remnant who were returning back to Israel after years of exile in Babylon. We met some of the leaders, Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest. Uh, God's people had returned to their land. God had acted providentially through history to bring them back to Jerusalem, which at that time had been leveled by the Babylonians. The temple completely destroyed. And he sends them from the far east back to Jerusalem so that they can rebuild the temple, so that the worship of God can be restored in their time. But instead, what we find in Haggai chapter 1 is that instead of being focused on God's kingdom, the rebuilding of the temple, these people had been preoccupied with building their own little kingdoms, with building their own houses, furnishing it, improving it. They had lost focus. They had turned from this mission of building God's kingdom to building their own mini-kingdoms. See, the temple in Israel was so much more than just a building. The the temple itself was the central hub of God's presence on the earth. Through the worship and prayers of God's people, through their work in seeing the kingdom come, God's peace was to flow out from the temple, out through Jerusalem, and spread throughout all the earth. Through this people, all the people of the earth were to be blessed by God. This was a great vision. It was a great mission for the people of Israel. But it had, over the years, become of secondary importance to them. They had lost kingdom vision. And other things, even very good things, well-tended homes, careers, starting businesses, wealth, good clothes, they, these things became of primary importance to them. But by grace, by the end of Haggai chapter 1, God sends his prophet Haggai to, to remind the people, to warn them, such a life is ultimately empty. Wholeness, peace is found when we place God central in our lives. God stirs the people's spirits through the message of Haggai, and they amazingly regain kingdom vision. They get back on mission. Together, they gather the building materials, and they begin work uh, to rebuild the temple. That's what happens at the end of Haggai chapter 1. And here in our text, if you look at verse 1 of chapter 2, it takes place throughout Haggai. There's a bunch of different time stamps that are given. This takes place in the seventh month on the 21st day of the month. So this is October 17th. 520 BC. So based on the timestamp that's given in Haggai chapter 1, Haggai chapter 2, what we're looking at, takes place 27 days later. So 27 days after the people's hearts are stirred and they begin to rebuild the temple, God's people again hear God's word, the word of the Lord which came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. So I invite you now to come with me into this word from Haggai chapter 2 to listen to the voice of God as he speaks to us through his word. 
Haggai chapter 2. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house, that is the temple, in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace declares the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Our Father, we ask that you would give us this morning a vision of hope. For those of us who come into worship discouraged, distracted, disengaged from the life that you've called us to live, we ask that your word would now give us this vision and hope. Thank you for your great love for us and for this world. We humbly ask that just as you stirred the hearts of your remnant people back in the days of Haggai, so you'd now stir our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy on us in this time, we ask in his name. Amen. G.K. Chesterton, uh, the British theologian and writer, he once wrote this. The one perfectly divine thing the one glimpse of God's paradise given on earth is to fight a losing battle and not to lose it. To, to feel weak, to feel small, powerless, Chesterton writes, to, to engage in what feels like a hopeless battle and to not stop fighting, but to in the end win. This is, this is a taste of heaven on earth. The people in Haggai chapter 2, we find them... Uh, fighting, engaged in a real struggle. They're trying their very best to engage in kingdom work, to do the work that God has called them to do. At the end of chapter 1, they did the thing that God had called them to. They gathered the building materials together, and they started to rebuild the temple, though they were just a few people, a, a tiny remnant of the entire nation, living now in a hostile land with very little resources. They began to rebuild the temple, but what they found, Haggai chapter 2 tells us, was that it felt to them like a losing battle. And so into this situation, God sends Haggai again to tell them three main things. This is the first thing. The discouragement happens when you make comparisons. When you're engaged in God's work and you begin to make comparisons with the past or with other people, you'll begin to feel very discouraged. The former temple was built by King Solomon long ago. And what we hear in the pages of Scripture and, and through uh, historical writers was that this temple in its former days was incredibly beautiful. 
It was one of the wonders of the ancient world. Uh, this was the temple that was destroyed by Babylon about 70 years before, and that the, the, uh, the Jewish remnant was now trying to rebuild. Compared to that temple from way back when, the rebuilt temple was going to be kind of pathetic. And look at verse 3 with me. Haggai asks his people, kind of rhetorically, who is left among you who saw this house, that's, that's the temple, in its former days? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Perhaps there were some real old-timers in the crowd that day. People who were perhaps in their late 70s or above, who as little children had walked through Solomon's temple when it was in its glory days. Or maybe everybody who's at the construction site looking at this new temple being built up, their mind's eye is remembering the descriptions of the old temple that they've heard about, that they've read about. Because the first temple was, was, again, immaculate and beautiful and immense. It, was a, it had a sprawling footprint at the summit of Jerusalem. The whole structure, if you read 1 Kings or 1 Chronicles, we, we learn that it was, the entire thing was built uh, by the fragrant cedars of Lebanon. The whole structure uh, was filled with um, stone walls intricately carved and fit together by expert stonemasons throughout the kingdom. There were immense pillars of bronze which supported the whole structure. The interior walls were designed with the figures of cherubim and blooming flowers and palm trees. That would be glorious enough, but what we learn is that all of these surfaces were everywhere overlaid with pure gold. As you walked deeper into the temple complex, toward its very center, the Holy of Holies, things just got richer and more beautiful. Uh, there was carved olive wood doors and doorposts, of course, overlaid with gold. The floor itself, as you went deeper, was made of firwood, again, overlaid with gold. This was, this was stunning, beautiful, majestic. And here, in 520 BC, in the time of Haggai, a few humble pilgrims with their hammer and nails... <laughs> with not very many resources, living at the time of the lowest ebb of Israel's wealth and power, they're trying to rebuild that temple. And they think, they remember what it once was, they compare their temple project with the former temple, and they're discouraged. They feel very low. Haggai asks them what sounds like a redundant question. Do you remember the temple in its former glory? Compared to that, this temple's nothing in your eyes, Right? Maybe some of them are wondering, if we can't reach that level uh, of the former temple, why are we even bothering? Like the, the work that we're doing right now is kind of pathetic by comparison, and they're discouraged. It's a perennial temptation for God's people to compare our time and our work with that which was done in former times. Just a generation ago in Halifax, uh, if we were to look at pictures of churches, they, they are just packed with people, like, like bursting at the seams wherever you go. And now that's, that's not the case, right? Christians back in the day were the vast majority of the people in Halifax or throughout the West. Um, but today, Christians are the vast minority. Churches are generally much smaller. Many of them are even closing their doors permanently. And here at Christ Church, we really want to be faithful in our corner of the kingdom, to invite people to church, uh, to invite them to places and events where they can encounter the love of Christ. Uh, places like the Mark study, which, which we're starting in, in about a month or so, which we hope you'll come to. But unlike in former days, we might remember, people just don't seem to be as interested anymore. 
Like, we often feel rejected when we invite people, or we, we, we feel awkward when we try to witness for Jesus, and it feels discouraging sometimes. It feels like we're engaged in a losing battle despite what we try to do. Things are getting worse and worse. But I hope that you see that this kind of discouragement as we engage in kingdom work, it's not unique to us. We're not the first people to feel this way. The people in Haggai's day, they also too wish for the good old days to be back. They remembered a time where it seemed like serving God was just much easier, when there's more resources, when generally there's just more favor for the kind of stuff they're doing. So how do we combat such discouragement, which again is common to everybody when we begin to work in the kingdom? Well, God tells Haggai to do this. He tells through Haggai that the people should do this. Instead of making comparisons with the past and finding discouragement, what they need to do is look at the past faithfully, and that will bring encouragement. Looking at the past with the eyes of faith reveals that the God who was at work back in the day is still at work today. He hasn't changed. He's still with us. The God who once did a glorious work in Israel, who has done glorious work throughout the world, things that we can only dream of, that the work that we're doing right now feels small in comparison. He is the same God who's at work today, right now, in our midst. God won't let his people sulk in Haggai chapter 2. There's no question that the temple that they were building was indeed smaller. We know that the second temple in Israel did not occupy the same kind of footprint in Jerusalem as this second temple did. Uh, They're building with probably much more limited resources. They don't get to import cedar from Lebanon. There's probably next to no gold. But God says this, look at verse 4, yet now, look at verse 4, this could also be translated as even so, despite this reality, be strong, O Zerubbabel declares the Lord. Zerubbabel was the governor in Judah. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work. Why? For I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. That that repeated line that happens so much in Haggai, Lord of hosts, is referring to the Lord of, of armies, of heavenly armies, the God who has no limit to his resources and power. Now look at verse 5. He, he wants the people to not just remember who he is, but to look back at a specific act in the past to reassure him, or to reassure them of his ongoing presence with them. He says, I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. Verse 5, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. Listen, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. What Haggai does here is he directs the people's attention to a specific act in the past, a specific moment of God's saving activity when God first rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. This is the story that we read in the book of Exodus, the formative moment in the life of the people of God. And God says, listen, just as I was with you then, so I am with you today. I made a covenant to you in those days. I made a solemn promise, and my spirit hasn't left. Fear not. Interestingly, the date of this prophecy of Haggai, again, it's time-stamped in in verse 1, it was October 17th, 520 B.C. We can kind of calculate when this happened. And this date is really significant because it takes place during uh, a feast in ancient Israel. It was the seventh and last day of the annual celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, that might not mean too much to you. Let me just explain that Israel had several feasts in the course of its calendar to remember the saving acts of God, to remember that God was their God, and that he was their people. The Feast of Tabernacles was a really unique festival because it was the annual celebration 
where the whole nation gathered together to remember how God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. During that feast, the people made little tents. They made tiny tabernacles, little homes, temporary dwellings for them to live in because what they were doing was remembering that after God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt, he brought them for many years through the wilderness, uh, through, through a desert, until they could inherit the promised land. Those were very lean years. They weren't very exciting, but God was always with them. He always protected them, provided for them, though things were very humble and very simple in the wilderness. Of course, when they walked through the wilderness, they were just a picture of, of poverty and of weakness. They had nothing. They had no wealth at that time, no influence, no power. They had no land, but God was with them. God made a covenant with his people then. A covenant means like a deep abiding promise. He said to them, I will be your God. You will be my people. I will dwell in the midst of you. So I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to give you everything that you need. I'm going to make good on every promise that I've made to you. I've got you. Trust in me. Believe in me. God's rescue of Israel and his preservation of them through their wilderness wanderings, which was looked back annually at this Feast of Tabernacles. Again, this was a, a defining relational act between God and Israel in the Old Testament. It was a relationship between God and man of rescue and ongoing care. They were called to look back on this event, and no matter what their circumstances were, if they were in rich years or if they were in lean years, God is with us. He will take care of us. In the New Testament, many years later, in our time, there's another act, an even greater defining relational act between God and his people that we're called to look back on at our weekly feast, at the Lord's Supper. See, the deepest encouragement that you and I can ever receive, that God is with us, that he is for us, is when we together look back at our rescue from sin and death through the cross of Jesus Christ. Listen, when you feel weak, when you feel discouraged, when life is not going as it should, when you wonder, is God actually with me in the work that I'm called to do, you are not called to look within yourself for resources and strength. When you feel weak, when you're wandering through a particular wilderness where you feel lost and confused and without power, when, you're, when you are dealing with sin and despair, you're, you're called also, like these people in Haggai, to look back at God's saving acts in the past. Specifically, we're called to look back to the cross of Christ. See, it's in the cross where we can be assured that God is with us and for us. That, that we have no reason to fear because through Christ we have everything that we need. This is what Paul the Apostle gets after in Romans chapter 8. Let me read to you from uh, chapter 8, verse 31. He's trying to encourage the church that's living in Rome that they have everything, they, though they're a minority in Rome, though they're often persecuted and hated for their faith. Listen to what he says. What then shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He writes, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The commentator Alex Motye, he writes about Haggai chapter 2. And he says this, the key to tackling discouragement is found here. If you're dealing with despair, 
with discouragement, Motier says, this is the solution. Stop listening to yourself and start listening to his word and promises. If you want to serve God and his kingdom purposes for the long term, if you want to live a life of obedience and love, you must not listen to yourself and listen instead to God and his word of promise. Listen, there's probably a lot in your life right now that's worthy of discouragement, things that are genuinely difficult. Haggai doesn't seem to be uh, mincing words here. He knows that this temple is smaller, that they have less resources than they've ever had. Maybe when you compare your life to the life uh, of people around you, to perhaps other Christians, or when, you, when you look at the work that God's called you to right now, whether you're in school or, or you're, you're living at home and, and you're a parent or you're looking for work, Maybe your, their lives, their lives look like cedar and gold, and your life just looks comparatively like drywall and scrap wood. To find encouragement and strength, the answer is not to look inside yourself for strength and hope. Matye says, stop listening to yourself and start listening to God's word and to his promises. Listen to what God says to you through the cross of Christ. Yes, you are desperately lost and broken. Yes, your love for me and your work, it is weak. It's imperfect. But you can be strong right now. You can continue to work hard for the kingdom. Why? Because I am with you. I sent my beloved son to rescue you, to give you everything that you need through his life and death and resurrection. His precious blood was shed so that those who are weak and hopeless could live for me. Look to Jesus. Don't look within yourself. He died for you. Look to Christ. He lives for you. I've got you. You're mine. Trust me. My spirit remains in your midst, no matter what your circumstances look like. So fear not. The exiles in Haggai's day were called to look faithfully into the past, look back to the rescue in Egypt to find fresh strength and encouragement. That God who did such glorious things in the past to rescue them, that was the same God that was with them in the land in that day. What's so glorious about Haggai is that this message is, is not simply encouragement to those who are engaged in a losing battle. We don't want to read Haggai as somebody who's standing on the sidelines cheering for the team that has actually no hope of winning, of advancing the ball at all. Haggai continues to say in, in verses 6 through 9 that God wants his people to have a huge vision and hope for faithful kingdom work, that one day the things that they set their hands to will come about. Their rebuilt temple, such that it was, to the naked eye, it probably looked pretty lame. But listen, while first they, sh they, should, they should not make comparisons because they'll, they'll, then they'll be discouraged. Uh, second, when they look faithfully in the past, they'll be encouraged. But third, listen to this message from Haggai. They can find incredible hope as they worked because God was also at work with them. This is what Haggai says. They could, by faith, be certain that God would one day fill this world with his glory and peace, that their small, imperfect work on the temple one day would yield incredible results. We don't labor in vain, friends. Your little faithfulness, your little obedience is not in vain. We're not fighting a losing battle, though it might often feel that way. God commands his people to be strong, to work. I hope that our church in the coming years grows in kingdom hustle, 
in, in, in a desire to see God's kingdom come in Halifax as it is in heaven. We want to become a church that's more and more hungry to see more people know and walk with Jesus. We want to parent to the glory of God. We want to do our work as if we're working for God and not for man. We want to be more zealous for personal obedience and holiness, to be generous, to be hardworking, to be creative, to see, again, God's kingdom formed in our midst and in this city. The only time that Haggai is quoted in the New Testament is in the book of Hebrews. And these verses from 6 onwards, um, the author in Hebrews looks as Haggai does, does to the final days of human history when God himself will supernaturally intervene to see this work brought to completion. Read with me from Haggai 2 verse 6 as he delivers this final part of his message. For thus says the Lord, you people who labor, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. It all belongs to me. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Listen, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. God's clear in the book of Haggai as he is in the book of Hebrews. His people are to work hard for the kingdom They are called to obey him, to keep the faith, to preach the gospel, to make disciples of all nations. But he's equally clear here, too, that God's at work. And he will fill this world with his glory and peace. This is a sure thing, friends. Not only should we be encouraged in whatever work that God has called us to in his kingdom, we should be absolutely hopeful. If we work in God's kingdom, we will see it come. The peace that we hunger for that we long to see in this world, that we pray for, that we're called to work towards, is something that God himself is at work to bring about, and he will bring it to completion. Let's finish with this thought. Again, consider for a moment Chesterton's quote. The one perfectly divine thing, the one glimpse of God's paradise given on earth is to fight a losing battle and not lose it. God tells his people through Haggai, be strong. Be strong. Be strong. He tells them this because they're tempted to feel weak. He tells them to work hard because they're tempted not to. He tells them to fear not because they're tempted to be afraid. He encourages them here, don't stop working and serving me and my purposes. I am with you. Yes, our kingdom work will often feel small and weak and powerless. We're laboring in a tiny corner of our tiny city. We have our own little tiny families in our own tiny workplace. This will often feel like we're involved in a losing battle. We're not seeing the fruit that we wish to see. Discouragement can fill our hearts. And it makes us wonder, should we just, should we continue this work? Should we even keep on trying to serve God and follow Christ? But Haggai tells the people, not only that we must not stop fighting, not only that we must keep working, but that one day God will again shake the heavens and the earth, just as he did in the time of Egypt, just as he did on the cross of Christ, we'll find in that day that we haven't lost, that in and through the Christ who's come for us, God has finally given to us in that day perfect peace through Christ our Lord. Amen.